If I offered you two different pairs of jeans and I told you that you can only wear one of them, you could probably decide in two seconds. But what if I offered you a thousand pairs of jeans and they're all slightly different and I said you can only wear one of these for the next 12 months straight. This will be your go-to pant of choice. What are you going to do? How do you even start to choose? That's exactly what I felt like when I was combing through thousands of listings whenever we were moving to a new apartment. I would spend hours a day stressing about, is this apartment in a good neighborhood? Is it going to accommodate my dogs? Does it fit my budget? I didn't know any of these. And the worst part is most of the listings didn't even tick all of my boxes. That is why Apartments.com is your best place to look for your new home. Apartments.com lets you filter your search based on whether you have pets, if you want a balcony, built-in AC, whatever it is that you're looking for. The website remembers your search so that you don't have to keep filtering every time you come back. And Apartments.com has more rental listings than anywhere else, meaning no matter how specific your needs are, they got you. And your instant alerts mean that you can spend less time online looking for the perfect place and more time doing you. So if you're looking for a new place to call home, head over to apartments.com apartments.com the place to find a place i really wish i could be one of those girls that loves doing cardio that's like every morning i need to get up and i need to run 10 miles but i genuinely prefer rotting in bed listening to audiobooks probably is the only way that i get any steps in a story that just makes any type of repetitive activity better is my favorite kind of story and my absolute favorite go-to platform to use is audible i love audible because of their unparalleled selection they've got thousands of titles to choose from they have audiobooks across every genre from thrillers to romance novels to self-help books but they also have podcasts guided wellness programs theatrical performances comedy originals i'm a thriller girly so i'm currently listening to a flicker in the dark by stacy willingham and the story follows a psychologist named chloe she moved to baton rouge to get away from the family's dark history chloe's dad is in prison for the kidnapping and murder of six young girls who went missing when chloe was a kid so there's a lot to unpack already chloe is the reason her dad got arrested she found this charm belonging to one of the victims in her dad's closet. But there are some things that just don't add up about the investigation. And just when Chloe feels like she's finally moving on from the past, a series of copycat murders start happening in Baton Rouge, forcing Chloe to dig up the past. The story is so fast-paced. I love it. And there are so many red herrings. Anyone can be a suspect, including Chloe's own husband, her brother. I've been listening to portions of this audiobook for about 30 minutes every single morning while I go out for a little light, I want to say jog, but right now it's more of a walk. And listening to audiobooks always sets me up to be more productive and creative throughout the day so if you're looking for a way to spice up your cardio sessions or just be more inspired sometimes i just play it and i rot in bed anyway i just lay there and i listen to it and it's so good i highly recommend using audible audible members can keep one title a month to keep from their entire catalog new members can try audible now for 30 days visit audible.com baking or text baking to 500 500 that's audible.com baking or text baking to 500 500 to try audible free for 30 days Welcome to this week's Bacon Mystery Bacon Murder episode. <laughs> you don't even know. You don't even know what's about to happen, okay? Do you see this right here? I have seven copies of The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo because, wow, this book might be the best thing that's going to happen to me this year. And I'm getting married this year, so that's really saying a lot. I don't even, I don't even know what to say about this book. I never imagined that... I would even like a book like this. Okay, just to give you some context. Oh my gosh, this is on. I almost died. <laughs> this book is categorized as a historical fiction. 
That I can get behind, but it's also categorized as a contemporary romance fiction. It's not normally something that I pick up or gravitate towards. I had this book sitting, I have the hardcover upstairs. I had this book sitting since our last house and I never what? read it. I got it because it was hyped. And then every time just something else came up, I was like, let me read this other book first. Let me read this other book first. I don't think, I, I'm so annoyed with myself for not reading it sooner. I don't think that I've had a moment where I was reading a book and I audibly gasped at the plot twist. The plot twist sent me on this emotional journey. I, I, and then immediately I started bawling my eyes out. He took a video of this because it was one of the most insane book moments I've had in a while. Freaking seven in the morning, she'd be crying. I was so sad. <laughs> what the heck? It, it's fascinating because the plot twist, it hits you, but it doesn't hit you like a truck. It's almost slow. It's like if you were to put red ink into a water bowl, it just slowly starts mm. penetrating and you're like, wait, holy sh**, there's so many implications of this plot twist and I don't even think I'm fully grasping it right now. And it got super emotional. So please go pick up like 10 copies of this book. I have the freaking ebook. I have the audible. I have the hardcover upstairs. I got seven copies of it because people always jack my books. They come over and they're like, oh, what's a good book recommendation? So now I have a stack that you can choose from, okay? I'm creating a library for my friends and family. <laughs> also, Taylor Jenkins Reid, the author, is my new hero. The way that she writes, Please go read this book. I know it's like a TikTok hyped book. It is worth it a thousand percent. She could write about the water dripping from a faucet and I would sit there at the edge of my seat feeling some type of way about it. Also, I'm very excited because it's being adapted into a Netflix movie. So with that being said, we should comment who we think should be casted for it because that's my favorite part. If they haven't cast it yet? No, they haven't casted yet. Mm. Maybe yeah. you, you should apply. Oh yeah? Yeah, yeah? okay. <laughs> huh? I think uh, Taylor Jenkins Reid has, um, she has Daisy Jones and the Six that's coming out on Amazon, the miniseries. I heard that book is good. And then she just had a new book come out this year called uh, Carrie Soto is Back. And I heard that one is amazing too. So I'm gonna link all of those below, but um, we should all just read it together. Wait, I should start cooking. Okay, first step, we're gonna melt some butter with some sea salt. I don't think I've done that before. Not on a pan, at least. On low heat, everything's gonna be a slow burn today, including this book. Actually, no, this book is kind of crazy. Do you wanna move the book so it, like, oh, yeah. it's not like a fire hazard? Oh, the books, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm willing to risk my life for this one, okay? The best way to describe Evelyn Hugo, because she has seven husbands, and this is the whole book is about Evelyn Hugo, is that she's a complete mystery. That's the best way to describe it. She's the type of person that you think you know. You know everything about her life. You know where she was born, you know what she likes, what she doesn't like, what makes her laugh and cry, but she also feels like an enigma. Like you don't actually ever really get to know the real Evelyn Hugo. Mm. Maybe it has to do with the fact that she was one of the greatest celebrities of the 60s, but truly something is there. So I actually heard that this book is um, inspired by Elizabeth Taylor and her seven husbands. Mm. Wow, so she does have seven husbands. Yeah, and it's a chronological play-by-play -play of each husband and all the nasty secrets in their marriages. It's so good. Okay, so if you're gullible, you might think that Evelyn Hugo is like an open book, she, but she's really not. And that's why even at the age of 79 years old, living alone, husbandless, in the middle of Manhattan, 
Evelyn Hugo is still a household name. I mean, think of it like Marilyn Monroe, Elizabeth Taylor, Audrey Hepburn. These names never die, no matter how long it's been. And she's happy to feel forgotten. Evelyn Hugo is not about the spotlight. People still care about her, genuinely. She's an icon. Which is why Monique Grant, that's like the main character of today's thing other than Evelyn Hugo. Monique Grant, a rookie writer at the magazine powerhouse called Vivant. So think of it like Vogue, maybe like a Rolling Stone. Mm -hmm. She's freaking confused when her boss calls her into the office and tells her that Evelyn Hugo wants to meet with her. She's like, wait, <laughs> what do you mean she wants to meet with me? That doesn't even make sense. Monique's boss is sitting in front of her and she's like, honestly, honestly, yeah, it doesn't make sense. That's exactly what we thought, okay? We don't understand. It's a puzzling turn of events. Evelyn Hugo's people, they want to do a feature, an exclusive interview, and they specifically asked for you. Monique is sitting there. She's like running through all the possibilities in her mind. It, Evelyn Hugo is doing this big gown auction at Christie's for the American Breast Cancer Foundation. So maybe it has to do with that to raise awareness, to get an article written, an exclusive article. But still, why, why Yeah, why Monique Grant? Monique Grant isn't even the best of the journalists at Vivant. In fact, she's like a rookie. She's mm. the bottom of the bottom. So it doesn't even make sense. Mm. Wait, the Evelyn Hugo that's been married like eight times? And her boss is like, well, seven. Now, side note, Evelyn Hugo's seven husbands were not just some randos that were writing down Sunset Boulevard. She married some of the wealthiest producers, actors, directors. She even had an affair with a congressman at one point, which is very reminiscent of Elizabeth Taylor. So, um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. These are, like, imagine. Imagine getting the tea on these marriages. The inside scoop on what her life was truly like behind the scenes. I mean, it would be insane. I digress. So Monique's boss continues. You know, this has really big potential. But the question is, we still don't understand why Evelyn chose you, why she specifically requested you. I mean, don't get me wrong, Monique. I'm not here to diss you. I'm not trying to insult you. I think that one day you'll do big things here. But as of right now, I mean, we were hoping to get someone a little more experienced, a little more seasoned on this one. But they came back wanting you. In fact, the email reads, it's Monique Grant or Evelyn's out. That's from her publicist. Hmm. Monique is shocked. Okay, she has never met Evelyn Hugo. She has never met this woman. Of course she's heard of her. And her boss is looking at her skeptically. Do you know Evelyn? Is that what's going on here? Do you guys know each other? No, of course not. No, I, I, I think I've seen like a couple of her movies, but she's a little bit before my time, you know? Isn't she like 80 now? So no personal connection. Definitely not, no. I mean, my dad was a photographer on movie sets, but that was like back in the day. And I mean, I, I would imagine that if he worked with Evelyn Hugo, he would have mentioned, I mean, I suppose I could ask my mom. And her boss is sitting around like, yeah, ask your freaking mom. So Monique pulls out her phone awkwardly, starts texting her mom. Hey mom, did by any chance did dad know Evelyn Hugo? Did they ever work together? The text comes back, a resounding no. The boss is confused. Fascinating. Well, then the other theory is that her people chose you because they want a rookie. They want someone to control. They want someone easy, right? They want to be able to control the narrative and it'll be easier with someone like you. Okay, amazing boss, by the way. That sees a lot of hope and potential. Okay, you gotta love it. So Monique is confused. You think they're preying on the weak? You think that they're preying on me thinking that they can just bully me around? Is that the idea? That's what we fear. But Monique, I don't think you can be bullied around, right? I think that Evelyn is underestimating you. 
And I want this cover. Monique, I want to make headlines. This is going to make headlines. Can you make it happen? Yeah, I'll take on the challenge. No big deal. Monique walks out of there, giving her boss all the confidence that she needs, but she genuinely has no clue how she's going to conquer it, how she's going to conquer the Evelyn Hugo. Is it going to be a fluff piece about her dresses? Is there going to be something in there worthwhile? Is it really going to make headlines? So a little bit about Monique Grant. Monique's dad was black and her mom is white. And being biracial, it's shaped so many experiences in her life. It's made her life harder. It's made journalism harder. It's, it's, but it's also what makes her unique. It's what makes her her. She's always kind of felt in between things. Like she was either too white or too black or not white enough or not black enough. And being in this little ebb and flow medium was super confusing as a kid. I mean, don't get me wrong, her parents were incredibly loving, so supportive. This is like one of the first books where I'm like, wow, really good parental figures, that's good. Maybe the second one after um, A Good Girl's Guide to Murder. Yes, that one had good parental figures. This one, good parental figures. Her dad always taught her that as long as she breathed in, breathe out enough times, you can get through anything. So Monique would probably need a lot of that meditative breathing for what was about to come next. She is a talented writer, don't get me wrong. She tells herself that every single day, even when nobody wants to listen, she knows she can do good work. But instead, she's eating tuna cotto sandwiches for lunch and doing puff pieces for Vivant. She's writing about celebrities and writing about the rise of microgreens in restaurant scenes in New York City. Oh, you love sprouts. Yeah, but a lot of restaurants <laughs> be using sprouts and she's writing a whole article on it, okay? When all she wants to do is write about something worthwhile, write about something worthy, write a think piece that's going to get people talking. If you asked Monique what her proudest work was, without hesitation, her piece would be of the physician-assisted suicide. She wrote that with passion. That's what she wanted to do is start conversations like this on what it means to die with dignity. Not about the new Erewhon smoothie that everyone is apparently losing their freaking minds over. Monique went to endless meetings for physician-assisted support groups. She got to know these people. She interviewed them. She talks with them about the nuance, the complexity of mercy and death. And it was a piece that confirmed to herself that she was, she has what it takes to be a damn good journalist. But she hasn't had a piece like that since. Because what pays the bills are not passion projects, but the newest kitten heel trend spotted everywhere on celebrities. That's what pays the bills. Her work felt meaningless until Evelyn Hugo summoned her. But for what? Oh, we don't even know what we're making. They don't marshmallow. Even... Oh, Stephanie's yeah. making marshmallow with um, mango. Ming dry mango <laughs> cake or, or something, something uh weird. This video is brought to you by Manscaped.com, the global men's lifestyle brand that's disrupting the beard market. You're like, the what market? Valentine's Day is just around the corner and I was sitting right here, scratching my chin, pondering, stressing, debating what to get my fiance. And I'm like, okay, this guy is practical. He's gonna want something that he's gonna use all the time, something high quality. I got him the Manscaped Beard Hedger Pro Kit and apparently I'm not a good fiance because he already has one. Look, it's that freaking good. Over 7 million men trust Manscaped to clean their carpets 
Do you know what I mean? And now it's time to make sure the carpet matches the drapes. Otherwise, we need like a home makeover. Look, I know my fiance was into the specs. It features a powerful 7,200 RPM motor. It has a titanium coated T-blade design that tackles tough hair in a single stroke. This is his favorite part. Are you ready for this? So you know how most of the time, if you guys have a beard trimmer, okay, you know if you do, but you have to attach on these different comb lengths and then you end up having like 20 of these just laying around. Are you ready for this? Look at it as it goes up. You just click it. It's all in one, babes. It's all in one. It's also waterproof and cordless. Like you can just pop this in the shower or in the sink. There is no messy cleanup, which is a gift for both of us. He said his favorite part literally is that the guard links are built in and it has 20 different guard links in the zoom wheel. So you can customize your beard to any length or style without having to unclip, clip, and then organize everything afterwards. Not only does it come with this, it comes with the beard conditioner, the beard balm like look at this i want a body brush with this i don't know why okay it comes with that it comes with beard oil which he desperately looks like he needs it comes with beard shampoo whoever man in your life you gift this to he is going to love this so much more than a box of chocolates so go to manscaped.com today and get 20 percent off and free international shipping when you use promo code mango at checkout that's 20 percent off plus free shipping with promo code mango at manscaped.com from your face to below your waist. Manscaped has got the right tools for the job. <laughs> Thank you, Manscaped, for sponsoring today's video. Now, this came at an opportune time for Monique. Some might even say that it was a perfect time. Monique and her husband, David, were in the middle of a nasty divorce. Well, it's not a divorce quite yet. They're separated. They've been married for less than a year, and he just moved to San Francisco for a new work promotion. He didn't even ask her. He just left her alone in New York City. That's what she got after a year of marriage, an empty apartment, a husband that doesn't even have the decency to ask if you want to move to the other side of the country with him, a husband that doesn't care about your job as much as he cares about his own, a husband that could just up and leave the woman that he supposedly loved more than anything in the world. Yeah, you could say that Monique was a little bit butthurt, okay? So she needed this distraction. A failed marriage, a stalled career, not even a proper plate in the cupboards, lukewarm pad thai takeout. It was not a glamorous life by any means, but at least this is a distraction. So Monique threw herself into getting ready for her first meeting with Evelyn, and she starts just psyching herself out. Maybe Evelyn really wants to talk to her about dresses. Maybe that's it. Maybe she just wants to use her for dresses. But then why would she be so picky about who she wants to work with at Vivant? And even then, why Monique? Mm -hmm. I mean, so many unanswered questions. Monique already knew a bit about Evelyn Hugo. I mean, who doesn't? She's a household name. But a curious thing indeed is that all of Evelyn's husbands, all seven of them, are dead. Uh. Are dead. So whatever nasty secrets these marriages had, they're all with Evelyn until the day she dies then they'll be buried with her. This was a story that people would kill to read. And Monique knew that, even going in, she knew it. The more clips of Evelyn that Monique watched, the more mesmerized she became. Her eyebrows, her blonde hair, her tan glowing skin, her high cheekbones, her swollen lips, her figure. I mean, skinny everywhere. No hips, no ass, but the biggest boobies you've ever seen. Yeah, 
just bombshell. She's nearly perfect that your brain can't even understand how someone like this could possibly exist. But when she comes onto the movie screen, when she comes on that TV screen, you can't look at anything else. You literally can't. Sometimes you have to replay the scene because you forgot what she just said. You just become mesmerized with this woman. She is that beautiful. She's a symbol, an icon, a star. She knew just the right amount to give to the world. She always held back a little bit and it just left you wanting more. It is terrifying to think that she had millions of Americans in the palm of her hand. They would flock to theaters to watch any movie she put out to just get a glimpse of her. They dreamed about her at night. They talked about her as if they knew her. She knew exactly where she wanted people and she knew how to keep them there. Is that what she was planning on doing with Monique? What if all of this really was about the damn dresses? Meeting Evelyn Hugo for the first time was, I mean, I imagine Monique can hear her heartbeat in her freaking eardrums and she's putting her finger towards the doorbell and an Asian American woman, maybe in her 50s, opens the door. Hi, you must be Monique. I'm Grace, nice to meet you. Grace, nice to meet you. Come in, likewise. Evelyn's upstairs getting ready. Can I get you anything to drink? Maybe a water, coffee, tea, something like that? The apartment is bright, beautiful, airy. I mean, floor to ceiling, just white bookcases, beautifully full looking chairs that you just wanna sink into. It is perfection. Um, coffee would be great. Coffee with cream. Uh, well, if you don't have cream, then maybe milk is fine. Or if you don't have milk either, I, I guess I could do like a sugar cube or if you have sugar. Grace is staring at her like, are you crazy? Coffee with cream, please. Sorry, can you tell that I'm nervous? A little, you don't have to be. Evelyn's a very kind person. I've worked with a lot of people in New York City and she just takes some getting used to. She's kind of particular, she's kind of private, but she's one of the nicest. She's better than the rest. And with that, she walks off to get the coffee. Monique sits down, nervously waiting, and she turns to see 79-year-old Evelyn Hugo walking towards her. Can you even call it walking? It's like she's gliding. She's like a ballerina, so poised, breathtaking at 80 years old. I mean, you can tell that she's kept great care of herself. She's wearing like a striped sweater, black trousers. She's glowing. There's almost like a red tint to her face as if she's blushing, as if she's still full of life at 80. Her hair is white, gray, blonde, and it's framing her face. She looks like the definition of aging like fine wine. Monique cannot help but stare. She's just staring at Evelyn. Monique, hello. Hello, I'm Evelyn. God, I love Taylor Jenkins' read because there are so many quotes. I wrote down so many quotes from the book and I never write down quotes from books. I don't know why. It just never speaks to me. It, it's, it's like context. You read it in the book and you're like, oh, that's good. But it never applies outside. Not saying that other books aren't well written, but you know, you know what I mean? Very rare to get those quotes that linger. But she describes everything so well. Like when Evelyn introduces herself, Taylor writes, it strikes me as a unique form of power to say your own name when you know that everyone in the room, everyone in the world already knows it. And she's like, I'm Evelyn. So while Monique is entranced by Evelyn, Grace comes in with the coffee and she's like, here you go, coffee with a little bit of cream. And even the fact that Evelyn sits there and goes, that's just the way I like it as well. Monique feels special. It's so weird. Anybody mm. else would say that and you'd say, yeah, okay, who doesn't like coffee with creamer? But she just, it feels like she's almost been approved by Evelyn. Mm -hmm. There's a common shared connection that they have. 
So the two migrate to the beautiful living room. And again, Taylor Jenkins Reid hits it again. Evelyn carries uh, Monique's coffee. And there's just something about this powerful woman doing the smallest, most humble act that is Mm -hmm. intoxicating, she said, or entrancing. So she's carrying Monique's coffee to the living room for her. She's like, sit anywhere you want. Monique finds a little spot, pulls out her notepad. Okay, uh, so shall we get started? You're putting your dresses up for auction. Actually, I've called you here under false pretenses. Excuse me? There's not much to talk about. It's some dresses that I've donated to Christie's, and hopefully they'll auction well. I've actually called you here to talk about something else. What What is that? My life story. Your life story? A tell-all. You want to do a tell-all with Vivant? No. I want to do a tell-all with you. I want to tell you my life story in a way that will be beneficial for both of us. Although, to be honest, mainly you. Just how in-depth are we talking here? Everything, Monique. The good, the bad, the ugly. I'll tell you the truth about absolutely everything that I have done in my entire life. Monique was stunned. She didn't even know what to say. Like, why her? A tell-all? All All her marriages? All her secrets? Like, that isn't exposing the industry? What the fork is going on? Evelyn, what's the next step here? What precisely are we going to do together? What do you mean, a tell-all? We're not doing the Vivant cover story. We're writing a book. You and I, Monique. I've read your work. I like the way you communicate clearly. Your writing has this no-nonsense quality to it that I admire, and I think my story could use that. Okay, you want me to go straight your biography. That's fine, Uh, people do that all the time. No, I'm giving you my life story, Monique. You're going to write a book about it. My name won't be on it because I'll be dead by then. What? Monique spits her coffee out onto the cream-colored couches and whether as an attempt to make Monique feel at ease or get out to get some fresh air or to protect her linen couches, Evelyn suggests that they go out to eat at a little hole in the wall down the street. This is the Upper East Side. And on the walk there, Monique finally asks, Evelyn, what do you mean that you'll be dead? She laughs. I mean that I want you to publish the book as an authorized biography with your name on it and I want it published when I'm dead. Okay, not to be indelicate though, but are you trying to tell me that you're dying? Everyone's dying, sweetheart. You're dying, I'm dying, that man over there is dying. She points at a random dude walking a dog on the street and he looks to face her because how are you gonna tell me I'm dying, okay? He's about to give her some New York sass, but the minute that he makes eye contact with her, the realization hits his face. The Evelyn Hugo just looked at him. It didn't even matter that she just proclaimed his destiny to death, okay? He's enamored. He's grateful to even have breathed the same air as Evelyn Hugo. They keep walking. Evelyn does not acknowledge the man as they pull into the restaurant. And in the empty restaurant, over their untouched cob salads, Monique and Evelyn discuss the details of the biography. Monique is obviously curious on how the financial aspects are going to work on this because it doesn't make sense, right? Evelyn brushes it off and she's saying, how can I profit if I'm dead? It doesn't make sense. So all of it's going to be for you, Monique. The only condition is that I don't want this published until I'm dead. Side note, remember how I said Monique is half black, half white? Mm -hmm. Evelyn tells her that whatever you do with this book profits, I want you to be as ruthless as possible when you go to publishers. I want you to be paid like a white man. And Monique is like, okay, damn. And then she says, and every penny will be yours. 
Monique realizes that a book about all of her high-profile marriages, that's like $12 million, if not more, on the line. Really? For one book. Wow. Like she did the math already? So Evelyn told her. Oh. Evelyn was like, I was told I could get at least $12 million for an autobiography. Mm, dang. Evelyn doesn't respond why she would do something like this for Monique. They don't even know each other. She just keeps telling her, consider it a gift. And Monique finally says, you know, can I have some time to think about this? <laughs> think about what? All of this. What on earth is there to think about? I'm sorry if it offends you. And this is when Monique gets her first taste of Evelyn. Evelyn cuts her off and says, you haven't offended me. Monique realizes that even the implication that Monique could offend Evelyn offends Evelyn. The fact that she even said, I'm sorry if this offends you, offends Evelyn. Because it's implying that Monique has the power to get under her skin. But she is under her skin, yeah, just, so what's so, going on? Monique's main concern is, about all of this isn't even about the money. It's just how she has no idea when the book is going to be published. She mm. has no idea when Evelyn's going to die. And if Yvonne finds <laughs> out about this, she's going to get fired. Yeah. So what? How could she write a book without money to pay the bills? What if she didn't hasn't finished the book yet and she died? <laughs> yeah, that too. I mean, not to be morbid, but yeah. And so Monique is like, I can't just go back to the office and tell my boss that you don't want to work with her anymore. Mm -hmm. and you want to privately work with me we're gonna write a biography I'm gonna make millions of dollars it's gonna look like I went behind their backs mm -hmm. I'm gonna be blackballed from the industry yeah. this book is gonna start off on the wrong foot people are not gonna want to buy this book anyway they're gonna think that I stole your story that's not really my problem Monique but it's mine which is why I have to think about it Monique this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity do yourself a favor and learn how to grab life by the balls you should know that if you won't write it, I'm not gonna have anyone else to write it. Everything is gonna die with me. That's a very weird threat. Yeah. <laughs> All these things that you're desperate to know, why you, I promise I'll answer them when we're done. But not till then. I call the shots. That's how this is gonna work. Monique gulped down her onions from her cob salad and said, okay, okay then, glad to hear it. And Evelyn smiled and said, Monique, I think I like you. Thank you, Evelyn, that means a lot. So through the chapters, we see Monique and Evelyn meet up so Evelyn can narrate her life. Monique takes notes, she asks questions, and audio records the whole thing. But we also see how it affects Monique's real life in real time. We see chapters of her coming home to an empty home, her trying to find lies for her boss about what she's actually doing, all of that. And it's fascinating because you already know the worlds are going to collide. The most pressing question that was nagging at Monique was, well, who was it? That's what she asks Evelyn the first day. What do you mean, who was it? Who was it? You don't know the question? It's the question that Monique believes all of America, the whole world, is going to want to know. And they want the answer at the end of the book. Who does she love the most? Who was the love of Evelyn Hugo's life? Oh. Seven husbands. Which one did she love the most? Which one was the best? Which one was the real love? I guess none of them. Like, <laughs> people <laughs> believe a love story that much? So Monique asked during the first section, session, and she says, was it Harry Cameron? You were married to him the longest you had a daughter with him, right? No, not in the way that you mean, no. In what way then? Harry was my greatest friend. He invented me. He was the person who loved me most unconditionally. Other than my daughter, um, he was one of the most important people in my life. But no, he was not the love of my life. Why not? Because someone else was. 
So Monique keeps pressing her to answer, but Evelyn says she will only answer the questions when she's ready. But since Evelyn goes chronologically, okay, I think we should too. Let's talk about Evelyn Hugo's childhood. Evelyn Hugo's dad was the bane of her existence. He was a scummy guy. There was no comfort in having this guy around the house. He was abusive, violent, a drunk. When Evelyn turned 14, she was sure that soon enough her dad is gonna sell her off to a friend of his to get married, or a boss, whatever helps him out in his situation. It doesn't matter what Evelyn wants. If she was being honest, the more she developed as she got older, the less confident she became that he might not try something for himself. Oh my gosh. That's the type of guy that he was. So the three of them, Evelyn, her dad, and her mom, they lived in Hell's Kitchen in New York City. They were broke, and you're like, what, Hell's Kitchen? It's a great part of Manhattan now. Back then it was not, it was not a good area. They could barely afford the rent in the seedy part of town. They couldn't even afford electricity. They were stealing it from their neighbors, power cords, yeah. The only happiness in Evelyn's life was her mother. I mean, she was stunning. She was this gorgeous Cuban woman. Evelyn got her looks from her mom. I mean, she had the voice of an angel. She would sing as she cooked and cleaned around the house. Now as an adult, Evelyn suspects that her mother was a sex worker, but yeah, her mom would always crouch down and lay with Evelyn and say, life sucks right now, but soon we're gonna be out of house kitchen and we're gonna go straight to Hollywood, you and me. We're gonna do it. We're gonna get a fancy house, just the two of us in the hills. We're gonna throw up parties, and when you're old enough, we're gonna drink champagne. That was the only thing getting Evelyn through. And then out of nowhere, her mom died of pneumonia. Evelyn was 11, and her whole life was shattered. And it came at a rough time, okay? Evelyn was coming from girl to girl. I don't like it when people say girl to young lady because they're still a minor, but Evelyn started developing body parts okay, more quickly than other girls. And with every new bra size, there was just more troubles. She would see full grown men, full grown adult men staring at her while she walked down the street. And she said at 14 years old, she was absolutely gorgeous. That's what Evelyn said. And you know what? Here's what she has to say about that. Oh, I know. The whole world prefers a woman who doesn't know her power, but I'm sick of all that. I turned heads. I mean, I take no pride in all of that. I didn't make my own face, I didn't give myself this body, but I'm also not gonna sit here and say, oh shocks, people thought I was pretty. Evelyn could see all these nasty dudes just eyeing her up and down, and some of them would even tell her, Evelyn, I can't help myself, you just have this power over me. And she started to believe it at one point. She thought, wow, look at what I do to all these poor boys. This is my fault, but also this is my power. Evelyn knew that she couldn't stay in Hell's Kitchen any longer because, you know, her dad was gonna do something crazy. So she starts looking for her ticket to Hollywood. It is not cheap to get from New York City to California. It is on the other side of the country. And then you get there and then what, right? You need money. The ticket's name came in the form of Ernie Diaz. Now every chapter is the husband's name. <laughs> so this one is poor Ernie Diaz. Ernie was an electrician who had a friend over at MGM and he was headed to California to find work. So it was perfect. He was 22, she was 14, he didn't need to know. He probably could have guessed that she was 14, but whenever his eyes went up and down her body, it didn't matter how old she was because he's a perv. And as long as he could act like he didn't know the truth until later, everything was fine. And that's what Evelyn traded her virginity for, a ride to Hollywood. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The two got married. It was Evelyn's first marriage. She was 15. Oh, wow. You she... Wow. Her dad signed off. Wow. They got the papers, jumped in the car, started driving west. And once they got there, Evelyn was already on the move. Ernie looked for a job. Evelyn went to hang out at the Formosa Cafe every single day. Okay, it sounds like she's doing nothing. It sounds like a 15-year-old skipping school, right? She's not. The Formosa Cafe was right next to the movie studios. So producers, directors, agents, they would be swarming this place during lunch. Evelyn made sure to be there every single day. Even the bartender knew exactly what game she was playing. And they're like, look, I know you're hoping to sit around till Humphrey Bogart shows up. Fine, you can do that. But I'm not giving up a paying seat for you to sip a soda. Here, and he throws a rag at her. He made her a waitress that day. Mm. Oh yeah, four months later, Harry Cameron, remember that name? No. One of her husbands? Mm. A young producer at Sunset Studios comes in with an executive. Harry looks up at her and says one word, Jesus. And two <laughs> weeks later, Evelyn Hugo was signed with Sunset Studios. Well, she was Evelyn Diaz back then, but uh, yeah, she was signed. Mm. And Ernie, her husband, was freaking shocked. And he's like, you want to be an actress since when? Yeah, I'm just doing it for some extra cash until I actually find something better, like being a mom. She lied. Mm. Ernie thought it was funny. His little wife would be in these funny little movies with a funny little line or two. He thought it was all cute and quirky. And then the roles started flowing in, and Evelyn was nervous. She knew that she needed to invest in herself. She needed to get some acting classes if she really wanted to make a name for herself. And even though she could afford it because she was getting paid for all of these roles, she made money. She lived in a time where the husbands made the financial decisions. So what does she do? She cooks him the best roast beef that she could make and keeps her apron on when she sits down to ask if she could take some silly little acting classes to pass the time. Wow. It pissed her off that she had to dumb herself down to seem less threatening to her husband. But she knew she had to do it. And he said, sure, sweetie, that's smart. Who knows? You might even star in a picture one day. Evelyn wanted to punch him square in the face. Because it's not she might. She would star in a film one day. Look, this woman has a chip on her shoulder and I freaking love it. She starts banging on Harry Cameron's door, which is wild because she just got started. She is in no position to start asking a producer for things. But here she is. I want the Caroline part in love is and all. <laughs> okay. Okay, weird. Harry Cameron, side note, he's hot, he's young, he's a producer, he watched his figure, he wore these suits that brought out the blue in his eyes, but there was something about him that pissed off Evelyn. It was the fact that he had never, not once, checked out her cleavage. Not once, and it pissed her off. 
Someone's like, what's wrong with my cleavage? It's not good, for, good enough for you? Anyway, <laughs> he told her that she can't have the role because she's Mexican. Evelyn's like, I'm Cuban. <laughs> for our purposes, same difference. Fine, what about that new movie with G Gary DuPont? I want that one. You can't play Gary's love interest, Evelyn. We need a nice blonde girl for that. I can be a nice blonde girl. It was a lost cause. Evelyn knew if she wanted a bigger role, she would have to take it, which is why the next time she saw the head guy in charge, the head executive of Sunset Studios, Ari Sullivan, she dropped her purse in front of him and gave him two eyefuls. Mrs. Diaz, Mr. Sullivan, please call me Ari. She maintained eye contact, grazed her hand on his arm. He was 48, she was 17, and she was on his desk staring at his Oscars while, you know, she did what she had to do. Wow. She didn't get either movie role, and they both tanked the movies. They tanked without her. With these nice blonde girls, they tanked, and that was enough. Evelyn dyed her hair blonde, lost six pounds, hired an accent coach who got rid of any trace of a New York accent, and they forbid her from speaking Spanish at all because this is before all of the amazing actresses before her time. They just wanted a lot of white people. I'm gonna be honest with you. The roles Evelyn Hugo wanted were for white women. Those were the big roles. So now, Evelyn has to be white. Any trace of her being Cuban, gone, out the window. Sunset Studios helped her create a fake background. Uh, they said, your dad is a builder in Manhattan. You love tennis and swimming. You have a Saint Bernard named Roger. That's like the most not Cuban thing ever, but they made her a background. Harry Cameron, the producer, and Ari Sullivan knew what fantasy Evelyn Hugo had to sell, and soon she would see it too. She would say, I was being designed to be two opposing things, a complicated image that was hard to dissect but easy to grab onto. I was supposed to be both naive and erotic. It was as if I was too wholesome to understand the unwholesome thoughts these men were having about me. It was bullshit, of course. It was an easy act to put on, okay? Sometimes Evelyn thinks that the difference between an actress and a star is that a star feels comfortable being the very thing that the world wants her to be. And Taylor Jenkins reads words, I tell you, okay? She also changed her name from Evelyn Herrera Diaz to Evelyn Hugo, and they all agreed it sounded more mysterious. It sounded French and it would really push her to stardom. The executive suggested that she start going on a few public dates with a guy named Brick Thomas. The dude's name is Brick Thomas. That's like a red brick flag. And Don Adler. The problem is- she Is she still married though? Yeah, the problem is, remember Ernie, she's still married. Mm. She's married. So that night she goes home and on the advice of Sunset Studios attorney, she informed Ernie that she was leaving him. He cried all night, and she wrote him a long letter about how it had to be like this, but she loved him. She didn't mean a single word of it, but she owed it to him to end the marriage the way it started, pretending. Yeah, and he got a payout from the studio. They never spoke again. He got married, bought a house with the money from Sunset Studios, had like eight kids, and then died. Yeah, so no, Evelyn did not feel bad for what she did to Ernie. How could she be mad at herself for her 14-year-old self for doing everything it took to get out of Hell's Kitchen? The next chapter is called Goddamn Don Adler, her second husband. Look, the chapter names Don are getting to me. 
Don Aller is the 47? Or no, that's Ari Silva. The hot dude. This is a hot actor mm-hmm. that she's going to go on a fake date with for PR, but they're going to get married. Oh. oh, yeah. Okay. It's got me so curious. So Evelyn Hugo became the blonde bombshell that Sunset Studios needed. And like blonde bombshells today, she starts booking comedy roles, romantic comedies. Evelyn knew that this is not the destination. She wants some serious roles. She wants to win a... Oscar, you can't do that when you're hee hee hawing on screen the whole time. It's fine. Her stardom was rising. She's slowly becoming a household name, which meant these dates that she had to go on, very important for PR. Brick Thomas was the first one. She wanted to slap him across the face. They sat down at the dinner table and his first words to her were, I bet you had my picture up on your wall, huh? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> she wanted to throw her drink in his face Is he big or what's going on? He's big oh. Yeah, But she smiled back and said How'd you know? <laughs> <laughs> he laughed and smiled They went outside, got paparazzi pictures The restaurants they would go to Were like the Nobu, you know So there's paparazzi everywhere And uh, he said, there's gonna be a lot of rumors about you and me tomorrow Let me know if you wanna make them true Smiled and walked away. It's never gonna happen. She hated Nepo babies. This guy was Hollywood Nepo baby and the self-adoration, the self-love that he had for himself. It was too much. It was gonna drown her. So it was a pleasant surprise that her next date with Don Adler, also a Hollywood Nepo baby, coined the Prince of Hollywood. He was actually really sweet. So his parents were big Hollywood film stars in the 30s, and the Adlers were like a household name. Don Adler was the biggest star at Sunset Studios. I mean, he could confidently joke, they all call me the Prince of Hollywood. They're all underestimating me. I'll be king one of these days. And she's into it? Yeah. Yeah, the date initially was for PR, but it didn't feel like it. He picked her up from her apartment with a bouquet of flowers. I mean, on the way to the restaurant, he told her he had seen her newest movie before it was even released, the early cut. Ari thinks you're going to be a big hit. And what do you think? I think you're the most gorgeous woman I've ever seen in my life. Hmm. Evelyn Hugo actually blushed. Truly. And you got real talent, too. When the movie ended, I looked right at Ari and said, that's the girl for me. There was just something about Don Adler. Okay, Don treated her like a person. Taylor Jenkins Reid, just kill me. She said, there are some people who see a beautiful flower and they rush over to pick it. They want to hold the flower in their hands. They want to own the flower. They want the flower's beauty to be theirs. Don wasn't like that, at least not at first. He was just happy to be near the flower, to look at the flower, to appreciate the flower. But that's the thing about marrying a guy like Don Adler. You're saying to him that this beautiful thing that you've just been appreciating, well now, it's yours. It's not gonna end well. So their first date was PR, their second date, and everyone after that was very, very real. It progressed to the point where in Harry Cameron's office, he was getting sick of it. Which, side note, Harry and Evelyn were becoming a lot closer now that she's becoming more popular. I mean, don't get me wrong, okay? Evelyn had these actress friends, but they would all um, shoot each other in the face if that meant they were gonna get the next big role that would win an Oscar. There, There was no loyalty there. It's not true friendship. Harry, though, on the other hand, He was different. Their interests were aligned. Evelyn Hugo was gonna be a household name and both people would benefit. And Harry's like, Evelyn, honey, I'm serious. I've had enough with this Don Adler talk, okay? All I hear from you is Don this, Don that. Yeah, well, I'll- Why does he hate it? She's just so obsessed with Don Adler. Uh You gotta think about something else, okay? 
Well, I'll stop if you give me Little Women. Little Women is gonna be like the biggest movie, okay? The biggest. Sunset Studios had bought the rights to it. It's gonna be huge. Evelyn, you don't wanna do Little Women right now. You need to give it some time. I definitely wanna do Little Women right now. Why wouldn't I? You know, you could be really big. Just don't screw it up. You could be a big, big deal. You could be a household name, Evelyn. You had a huge hit with the movie Father and Daughter. People know you can be funny. They know you're adorable. They loved you in it. Yeah, and they'll love me in Little Women. No, you're gonna do it again. You're gonna show them that you can recreate the magic. It's not a one-trick pony. It's not beginner's luck, okay? Then maybe you do a romance with Dawn. And then when everyone's thinking that they know Evelyn Hugo, they understand Evelyn Hugo, that's when you do Little Woman. You knock people's socks off. Now the audience is gonna think, I knew there was something special about her. So Little Woman is more like a drama. It's more like a Oscar-winning type of film. It, it, you know what this reminds me of? Margot Robbie. The way she broke out of that like blonde bombshell vibe with Wolf of Wall Street, and then she had all these like very sexy roles where she was just like the side character, mm. the love interest, and then she, I mean, knocked people's socks off with I, Tanya, mm. and she just proved to the world that she could do it, right? Mm. That's what Harry wants for That's her. That's so fascinating that yes. there is a path yeah. To a superstar. And Evelyn's confused. She's like, why can't I do it now? Why can't they be impressed with me now with Little Woman? Because you have to give them time to invest in you. You have to be predictable, and then you do something unpredictable. That's when people will love you forever. Why is that so deep? Yes, it's so deep. It's so true, though. It's so true, yeah. So true. It only matters when you, you do the <sighs> unexpected. Just, yeah. yeah, that's when the shock comes, right? Mm -hmm. The contradictions, mm. people love it. So if you do a... Yeah, OnlyFans? <laughs> no, I was no, thinking no, that. No, no, no. So he's like, yeah, you gotta do that. That's the way to do Little Women. And that was the easy part. If she could marry Dawn, if she could genuinely get into a relationship with Dawn, that with Little Woman, Evelyn would be solidified in Hollywood. And so would Dawn. Dawn needed her. She was the new generation of Hollywood, and he had something to prove. He had to prove that it wasn't just old Hollywood he was stuck in. It wasn't just his parents' way that was stuck with him. He needed to be the new generation. So the two of them, they could be the power couple that Hollywood wanted. But better than that is that both of them knew all of this, and they didn't care. They genuinely loved each other. They still would date each other without all of this. And it was at Don's new movie premiere on that velvet red carpet. He got down on one knee and proposed with the wow. Tiffany ring. Wow. <laughs> and for the first time, Evelyn Hugo actually enjoyed adult time. She always saw it as a way to get things in exchange for something. A trip to Hollywood, a movie role. But now, now she wanted to do it more than Don wanted to do it. She craved him. She genuinely loved him. And it was at Evelyn's wedding that um, she made a best friend, Harry Cameron. The same Harry she would marry later, the producer. Oh he pulled her aside to make sure that this is what she wanted, that she's not just doing this for the studios, which is like mm -hmm. a little too late, okay? What if she says she's miserable? You're gonna personally kick out 300 <laughs> of Hollywood's elites and yell at the tabloids, like, get out of here. Exactly. Come on. He pulls her aside and, you know, Evelyn's first question was, why didn't you try anything with me, like, at all? For years, you never tried one time. It didn't make sense. So she's also kind of into him then, to be asking that question, yes, right? Yes, he's very attractive. And he said, it's, it's hard to explain. But try. You're young. 
Yet most men don't have any problem with that, Harry. Newsflash, my own husband is seven years older than me. It's a very long and complicated story, but... You so you think it. like she kind of into him more at that point? Maybe, that like he's not what? into her. Because uh, you're, you're saying this is a, at the wedding? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And uh, he says, you've just never been my type. The way he said it, Evelyn knew exactly what he meant. Harry Cameron wasn't interested in girls like her. Because Harry Cameron wasn't interested in girls at all. Mm. Evelyn thought for a second, and she knew that she needed to make him feel seen and accepted because being gay in Hollywood, being gay in the 60s, you could literally get arrested. You could get thrown into a mental institution for being gay. Especially in Hollywood. It, it's just not accepted. You'll be blacklisted, you'll go broke, you'll lose everything. Wow. Your friends, your coworkers, your job, everything. And, and he basically told her that. Yeah. Wow. And she looked him in the eye and said, You're my best friend in the whole world, Harry. You know that? And he oh. said, Am I really? Then you'll be mine. Mm -hmm. And he married her, her best friend? Yeah. And wow. with that, Don interrupted them and whisked Evelyn away, his new wife, onto the dance floor. Look, Evelyn felt like her life was falling into place. She had her dream life, her dream career, she had her dream husband. Don whispered in her ear at their final dance, Me and you? We're gonna rule this town. I mean, come on. Everything is perfect. Until he started hitting her. Oh. Yeah, I know. That's how this book made me feel. Okay, Bro. just like... Around this, it was around the time that one of Don's movies started tanking. It was his first action film. It was all pew pew pew. He had been doing like romance and comedies, right? The headlines were, Alder looks like a fool holding a gun. He's no a... John Wayne. Basically saying he's not man enough to play the masculine roles. He should just stick to being he he ha ha comedy boy. And he got mad at that? Yeah. Oh my god. America didn't see it. He wanted to be Captain America, okay? But they said that no, you're who's a not hot comedian. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me canceled. <laughs> you know, that's what they said. So uh, America didn't see it, and he was back to comedy roles, and he just had something to prove. And it did not help that Evelyn just won Audience Appreciation Award for Rising Star. So she's rising star, he's falling star, and the two of them, they were on their last set day for their new romance movie when Don demanded that Evelyn make him breakfast. She did not know how to make breakfast. She didn't even, because they have a maid that makes mm -hmm. them breakfast. She yeah. didn't even know how he takes his eggs. So she's looking around like, I don't know what to do. And Don exploded. He grabbed a pillow and started screaming into it. If you're not going to be the kind of wife to make me breakfast, at least know how I like it. Into a pillow? Into a pillow. And then the car ride to the set was awkward. Don was in quite the mood. He turned to Evelyn at a red light. You know people in town are still asking why you're still going by Evelyn Hugo. What do you mean? On the signs, they say it should say Don and Evelyn Adler. Not Don Adler and Evelyn Hugo. That's what the people are saying. Who's saying that? The people. What people, Don? They're saying you wear the pants in the relationship, Evelyn. Don, you're being so silly. Please just drive. I can't believe we're 45 minutes late to set. Harry's going to be so pissed. And Don looked at her and he smirked. Yeah, well, we're the Adlers. We can be late. Evelyn was so grossed out by his attitude. This is like peak Nepo baby attitude. They rushed to the trailer and she's rushing to get ready for hair and makeup to come in. And Don got up in her face and was like, I think you've gotten the wrong impression. Maybe I've been too nice. Maybe you've forgotten, but we're not equals. What's wrong with this guy? He just lost it. And he's like, I think this is the last movie you do. 
I think it's time for you to be a mom. Yeah, because that's what happens in Hollywood. You become a mom and your time is over. Or just in marriages in general, you become a mom and your time is over, right? the patriarchy. I'm so mad. <laughs> and she's like, absolutely not. And he slapped her across the face. Look, Whoa. Evelyn said the worst part about being slapped in the face is that it is so humiliating because any other being punched in the face, doing any of this, being punched in the arm, you don't have to cry if you don't want to. But when you're slapped in the face, the sting is just the shock of it all makes you cry automatically. It's like a physiological response. It's not even mm. emotional. So her jaw was bright red and there was a knock on the door. And even then, small Don couldn't control after his little violent tantrum. And she says, okay, let me take control. Go out there and tell Bobby I'm having lady problems. Tell the wardrobe person to meet you in my dressing room and have Bobby tell mine to meet me here in 45 minutes. So she's like right back on it, back to business. Don's like, okay, I don't know what to do. I'm just, I just stepped you in of your bed. So the minute he leaves, Evelyn slumps over and she sobs. She later told the hair and makeup girl that she fell and hit her jaw, but they both knew that she was lying. The next time that Evelyn saw Don, he was overly apologetic. It almost made her feel crazy because Evelyn grew up being slapped around by her dad. She had never been apologized to. And he whispered to her, I'm so sorry. I never should have done that. Like, I'm so grossed out by myself. I can't believe I did that. You deserve so much better than me. I will do anything for your forgiveness. Like, I will work for the rest of my life for you to forgive me. Did she buy it? So of course she did the first time. They finished the rest of the movie. They were both nominated for Oscars. They both lost. But the world was in love with Don Adler and Evelyn Hugo. And behind closed doors, the violence raged on. It was the same toxic cycle. He would hit her, apologize profusely, swear up and down that it would never happen again. She would accept the apology because, not because she's dumb, not because any of these victims are dumb and thinks that it's never gonna happen again. But how do you even get out of that situation? It is so messy. And there's other things to worry about, like the fact that Little Woman has been greenlit to start production. And your arch nemesis, Celia St. James, yeah, her biggest rival in Hollywood, is gonna play her little sister, Beth. Which, side note, she's gonna go on to marry Celia St. James's brother. Who? Evelyn Hugo is later gonna marry her arch nemesis's brother. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's a Hollywood feud. And Harry's asking her, Wait, what's wrong with Celia St. James playing Beth? You don't like Celia? That teenage bitch is gonna overact me. She's gonna win an Oscar. Harry laughed, okay? He had to admit, Celia had talent. She was 19, she's making headlines for her incredible acting. She didn't do comedies. She played a widowed mother in a war period piece. I mean, this girl was good. Widowed mother? Yeah, she could act. Harry tried to calm Evelyn down. Evelyn, you're 21. You're married to the biggest movie star. You've just been nominated for an Oscar. You're on top of the world. Celia St. James has nothing on you. <laughs> I know, it's fine. I'm gonna give the best goddamn performance of my life and I'm gonna win an Oscar. Nobody will even remember Celia St. James. Harry reassured her that she was the best that there was and he believed in her. She gave him a hug, but he fell back and he placed his thumb on her face. Harry don't. I'll kill him, you know. He saw the bruise through her makeup. Why did he play a thumb? He's like touching the bruise. No, you won't. We're best friends, Evelyn. You said best friends who tell each other everything. And you knew it was bullshit when I said it. Let me help you. What can I do? You can make sure that I look better than Celia. You can make sure that I look better than all of them. That's not what I mean, Evelyn. Yeah, but that's what you can do. There's no move here, Harry. 
end of discussion. I mean, Dawn was what her career needed. There was no move to make. And there was a part of her that still loved him. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com therapy60. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Anyway, little woman starts shooting, and the first day on set, Evelyn is in her room getting ready. The maid housekeeper walks in, sees her naked, sees all the bruises, and Evelyn freaks out because there's bruises all over her body, right? She's been, like, thrown down the stairs, punched, kicked, everything. And she screams, Paula, please, for heaven's sake, I asked you to knock. Evelyn was pissed because she just, you know, and Paula walked out. And Evelyn was extra pissed because if Paula was going to sell a story, why didn't she sell this one? Why didn't she tell the world that Don Adler was beating his wife? Why instead did she come after Evelyn? Celia St. James wanted to grab milkshakes with Evelyn during filming. Okay, milkshakes. Their diets can't afford milkshakes, but Evelyn was intrigued to get to know this girl. They both hop into Celia's car. She's a horrible driver, by the way. Evelyn thought that she was going to die in bumper-to-bumper traffic on Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, that's how bad of a driver she was. And she says, I'm thinking Schwab's. Evelyn's ears perk up. Schwab's is like the hotspot. It's like the Nobu where all the celebrities are. There's paparazzi nonstop there just waiting for celebrities to come in. What kind of game are you playing, Celia? I'm not playing any games. Oh, Celia, I've been at this a few more years than you. Nobody goes to Schwab's for milkshakes. Listen, I could use a story or two if I'm going to star in my own movie soon. I just need some recognition. And I thought since we're getting milkshakes, why not Schwab's? And this milkshake business is all a ruse to be seen with me in public. Evelyn was insulted. She felt used. Not at all. I, I, I wanted a milkshake with you. For real. I wanted to get to know you. Evelyn was pissed. She demanded Celia drive to CeCe Brown's for ice cream instead. Or she threatened to jump out at the next red light. So, there was that. <laughs> So they sit down, and Evelyn watches as the waiter fixates on Celia. There was a clear difference between Celia and Evelyn. Evelyn was the type of woman that men feel almost threatened by. You feel like you can't even look at her. She's that beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's intimidating. It's, it takes the breath out of you. But mm-hmm. Celia is beautiful in a wholesome way. The, the girl next door. Uh... The, she doesn't even know she's pretty. She feels attainable. She feels like if you try hard enough... You guys could have a chance. Sitting at the booth, eating their milkshakes, Evelyn gave Celia St. James some real pointers on how to make it in Hollywood. One of them are, um, yeah, 
and use people, okay? It's fine to use people, but don't act like you're not using people. That's more insulting. Wow, you're proud of that, Evelyn, of using people? I'm proud of where it's gotten me, Celia. And are you using me right now? No, I'm not using you. You have nothing to offer me. I don't think that's true, Evelyn. Sure, you're more famous than me. You are married to a movie star, but other than that, we're kind of in the same place. We had a few good movies, we had a few good performances, but now we want an Oscar for Little Women. Me for Best Supporting Actress and you for Best Actress. But I have a leg up on you in that regard, with the Oscar. They can both win? They can. Oh, they yeah. can, okay. And why do you have an advantage? I'm a better actress. <laughs> you're really good, Evelyn, don't get me wrong, but I'm better, and you know I'm better. That's why you and Don almost had me fired from this. Okay, fine. You're better than me in acting. We discussed getting you fired, maybe. So what, big deal? Yeah, well, that's my point. I'm more talented, you're more powerful, and we can help each other. After hours, I can help you with your scenes and I'll teach you what I know. And what, you want me to go get milkshakes with you at Schwab's? Yeah, I want you to help me do what you did. I want to be a star. And then what? You and I both end up famous, competing for every job in town. Or we could just be friends, Evelyn. I really like you. I liked how the moment you show up on the screen, I can't look at anything else. I like the way that your skin is way too dark for your blonde hair, and normally those two would never go together, but for some reason it just seems so natural on you. And to be honest, I like how calculating and how awful you are. <laughs> I like how honest you are. Some women are just so full of crap in this industry, and I like that you're only full of crap when it gets you something. So, yeah, I, I want to be friends. Like, not the backstabbing kind, but um, just real friendship. Have you ever had any friends, Evelyn? Evelyn was not convinced, but the two shook on it nonetheless, and they walked out with milkshakes on the house. Evelyn thought it was the stupidest thing in the world, because if anyone should be getting free food, it wasn't rich people. But... Here they were. But that's how Celia's friendship with Evelyn started. It started around the time that Evelyn's relationship was really tested. The tabloids were sharks out for blood. News hit. The tabloids were all over Evelyn. The housekeeper had sold the story that Evelyn Hugo, yeah, was behaving like a man. What? The tabloids ripped a woman to shreds for acting like a man. The headlines read, cold, cold Evelyn. What's the scandal, you ask? Dawn wants a baby. Evelyn keeps saying no. All she wants to talk about is her, is her career. Wow. She never cleans the house, can't be bothered to be kind to the help, spends her free time abandoning her husband at home while she goes out with single gals like Celia St. James. Poor Dawn stays home yearning for a family. Evelyn is out having the time of her life, only worried about herself. Evelyn threw the paper onto Harry's desk. Both Harry and Celia, which are becoming like her closest friends, they're shook. They didn't even know what to say. They're both standing there nervous, stressed, confused on what to do. What, what, what does Dawn say about it? Harry looked nervous. Dawn wasn't going to be happy looking like some sort of weak husband. And if Dawn's not happy, he gets handsy. Evelyn's sitting there, that little fucking rat. What are you talking about? My damn maid. She talked to the papers. Okay, fired. She'll be gone by the time you get home. Yeah, but that still doesn't solve the real problem. America's not going to come see my movies if they find out that I'm putting my career ahead of my marriage, uh, ahead of an unborn child that doesn't even exist. And it's not going to look good for Dawn either. Then it hit Evelyn. Dawn walked into Harry's office, and she explained to the group, we're going to fake a miscarriage. What on earth for? They'll hate me and probably lose respect for you if I won't give you a baby. And Celia chimed in, but they'll... 
pity you both if you can't have a baby. Don's like, pity? I don't want to be pitied. There's no power in pity. We can't sell movies with pity. Dumb Don, Harry spoke up. Like how you can't. And that's how news broke of Evelyn's miscarriage. The night after news broke, Don went out to busy himself. Celia came over to check in on Evelyn, make sure she's doing okay now that the whole world knows about her fake miscarriage. It's miscarriage gate. And she's like, you've got no maid now. The two of them hunt down wine glasses. They start pouring wine in. They're looking for a corkscrew. And Evelyn has no idea what's the difference between a champagne glass and a wine glass because she's been either too broke to be able to afford these things or too rich that she never had to look for them herself, never anywhere in between. And so the two sit down on the living room floor and they just keep talking all night long, giggling. They were having so much fun, in fact, that Evelyn ends up spilling some wine on Celia. She's like, oh God, I'm so sorry. Come upstairs, I'll give you a shirt to borrow. They rush into the married bedroom and she's looking around, Celia. And she tries to ask casually, can I ask you something, Evelyn? Sure. And you promise to tell the truth? Uh, not particularly, but go ahead. <laughs> Do you love him? Don? Who else? I don't know. Is it for publicity? Are you just in it to be an Adler? No, I don't think so. What then? Oh my god, this girl better not fast-stab her. It's hard to say. I love him and a lot of the time I hate him and when I'm with him, it, I don't know. I mean, we have fun or we used to have fun and we still do sometimes. It's just, it's hard to explain. Does he do it for you? Yeah, very much. Sometimes I find myself aching to be with him that it's almost embarrassing. Well, forget I asked. Oddly, Evelyn could tell that Celia was bothered by her answer. She passes her the shirt, Celia takes off her wine-stained blouse, and it's hard for Evelyn to not look, you know, because this is her competition, and just everything about Celia seemed perfect. It was the opposite of Evelyn. She, had, she was pale, she was a little bit more thin, she had a big butt and small boobs. Everything about her was just girl next door. And right at that moment, Dawn walks in. Well, hello. What, what on earth is going on here? Evelyn laughs and walks over. Absolutely nothing, honey. So Celia and Evelyn's friendship only go cl closer from there. They only grow closer from there, and they start attending these premieres together. And since Celia is a young new girl on the scene, the studios are setting her up with all sorts of dates. And Celia's hating it. Evelyn, please don't make me do this. You have to. You're not the boss to me, you know, Evelyn? I really hate him. He's such a Please, please, are you even listening to me? I hate him. Who? Of course you hate him. Her date. Her date for the premiere. Oh. Of course you hate him. He's a f***ing weasel. Well, why can't I just go alone? To your own movie premiere of Little Women? Alone? Well, why can't we go together? Because I'm going with Don and you're going with Robert. Cut it out, Celia. This is how you get your name in the paper. If that's not what you want, what the hell are you doing here? Celia begrudgingly makes it downstairs, where Don and Robert are waiting for the both of them. Evelyn watches with just pure amusement as Celia slips her arm around Robert and gives the best performance of her life. I mean, you would have thought that she was actively falling in love with this guy. I mean, she was that good at acting. If wow. only they gave out Oscars for this, okay? Perfection. The premiere was packed. The cast were primarily women for little women. And Don whispered in Evelyn's ear on the red carpet, you're the most beautiful woman here. Normally you think that's like a cute moment between couples, right? Mm -hmm. It was sad. Because Evelyn knew it before he even said it. Not because she felt like she was the most beautiful woman there, mm -hmm. but she knew that if Don didn't believe it, he would not have been at the premiere with Evelyn. 
Like he would just go date a different woman. The most beautiful woman there.、Mm. And that's just really sad to think about your marriage.、Mm-hmm. They all take their seats, and the whole theater feels falls silent, and the movie starts. Evelyn watches the whole thing, and by the time it was done, she knew that every single person walking out of that theater, it wouldn't be her that they remembered, even though she was the lead.、Wow. It would be Celia Saint James, and it should have made her jealous. It should have made her so scared, so insecure. The smartest thing for Evelyn to do at this point was to plot Celia St. James's demise, but instead, Evelyn could hardly hold back her smile. That was her best friend, and、Aww. she was so happy for her. Evelyn knew Celia was going to win an Oscar for her role, and it didn't make her jealous. It made her f-ing happy. Later at the after party thrown at one of the executives' mansions, Evelyn runs into Ruby, Ruby, co-star and former backstabbing friend of Evelyn. Okay, yeah, there's an introduction there. Ruby walks in, and she was on Little Women too. She actually nominated herself for the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for Little Women, the same category as Celia St. James. She nominated herself. Yeah, you nominate yourself. Yeah. And she's pissed. <laughs> she slams open the bathroom door. What the hell are we gonna do about this, Evelyn? What are we gonna do about what, Ruby? About Celia Saint Fucking James. That's what. What about her, Evelyn? I swear to God, she gave a great performance. What can we do? This is exactly what I told Harry would happen, and he said it wouldn't. But look at where we are, Ruby. What do you want me to do about it? You're losing out too, you know. How do you not see that? I get it. You're not in our category. You're trying to get the best actress Oscar, but she's the talk of the town for this movie. You don't see that? Of course I see it, Ruby. Of course I do. But I don't know what to tell you. We were right about her. She's talented, gorgeous, charming, and you've been bested for best supporting actress. Sometimes it's good to recognize it and move on, Ruby. You know, people have been saying all sorts of things about you too, and I didn't believe it. But now I can't really be so sure. Like what? What did they say, Ruby? You don't know. She's a lesbian, Evelyn. Evelyn's ears felt hot, and her chest started heaving up and down. And she says, "Oh, and you should probably get a better handle on your husband, by the way. He's in Ari Sullivan's room getting a hug from some girl from MGM." And with that, Ruby walks off. <sighs> Evelyn felt strange in that moment. She didn't think, "Oh my God, my husband is cheating on me." She thought, "I have to find Celia." In real time, Monique steps in the story. She stops the story. Wait, did you know Celia was gay? I'm telling you the story as it's unfolding, Monique. Evelyn, who's the love of your life? It's okay, Evelyn. Who was the love of your life? The great love. You can tell me. Evelyn looks terrified, and finally, she looks out the window before saying, "Celia St. James, I feel like I've spent my entire life loving her." And Monique is like, so this book, this biography, you're ready to come out as a gay woman. She shouldn't have said that. Evelyn closes her eyes. Haven't you been listening to a single thing that I've told you? I've loved Celia, but I also loved Dawn. In fact, if Dawn hadn't been such a spectacular asshole, I would probably would have never been capable of falling in love with somebody else. I'm bisexual, Monique. Don't ignore half of me so you can fit me in some sort of box. Oh dang. Monique felt gutted because she's half black, half white, and she knew exactly what that felt like. And she had just done the same thing to Evelyn. I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. I should have asked. I just I don't know why I assumed. But when did you figure it out that you loved her? 
Well, it helped that my husband was cheating on me upstairs. I was jealous on both accounts. I was jealous when I found out Celia was gay because it meant that she had been with other women, that I wasn't the only love of her life. And I was jealous that my husband was with, was with a woman upstairs, but more so because it was embarrassing and it threatened the way of life. The fact that I wanted to be around Celia all the time, the fact that I cared about her enough that I valued her own happiness over my own, the fact that I thought about her shirtless over and over again, I mean, now when you put the pieces to get together, one plus one equals I'm in love with a woman, but back then it wasn't like that. I didn't really have an equation. I thought I finally had a true friendship. So what did you do? Who did you go to first? Evelyn's head was spinning in that little bathroom and the door swung open. Celia. Evelyn, what are you doing here? They closed the door. Celia, do you sleep with women? <laughs> what are you talking about? Ruby says you're a lesbian. Who cares what Ruby says? Are you? Why, are you gonna start being, are you gonna stop being friends with me now? Is that what this is about? No, of course not. I would never do that, Celia. I would never do that. Then what? Evelyn didn't know what she was doing in that moment, but she grabbed Celia's wrist and she started kissing her. And they both <sighs> threw themselves at each other before Celia broke away. And she's like, we can't stay in here. Now, again, just to remind you, this sounds like a cute little love story now, but back then, this would have ruined their whole lives. Literally everything that they have worked so hard for, their dreams, everything would have been ripped from their hands. Celia left. Meanwhile, the husband just casually getting up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so Evelyn goes through every single door on the second floor until she finds Dawn and a naked girl in there. She runs out. He tries chasing after her. She tries looking for Celia, but she's long gone. And instead, she finds Harry Cameron. Harry, can you take me home? And in the car, Evelyn questioned Harry. You don't look surprised about Dawn cheating on me. Dawn has always had a penchant for women that he's just met. I wasn't sure if you knew or if you even cared. I didn't know, and I did care, Harry. Well, I'm sorry, I should have told you that then. What if we just told each other everything, Harry? Like the truth? I just feel like I need someone. I'd say, Evelyn, that is a burden I don't want to put on you. Yeah, well, I have skeletons too in my closet, Harry. Maybe I'm ready though, for a real friend. True blue. Yeah, well, you're not like me, Evelyn. I might be, and Celia might be too. Harry was quiet for a second before he said, yes, Celia might be too. You knew? I suspected, and I suspected that she might have feelings for you. Well, I'm leaving Dawn. I'm happy to hear it. I just hope you understand what the full extent of that means. He's not gonna take it sitting down. So what, I just let him sleep around, do anything he wants with any MGM girl, and then he can smack me around when he feels like it? That's not what I meant. I just want you to be prepared for what's about to happen. Harry parked the car and helped Evelyn into his house. And he tucked Evelyn into the guest room of his house. And with his hand on the light switch, he turned to her and said, Evelyn, you know that our interests are no longer aligned, right? Yours and mine? My job is to make the studio money. If you're doing what the studio wants, then my job is aligned with yours. But more than anything, the studio wants to make Dawn happy. And once you divorce him, our interests are no longer aligned. But she's a better actress, no? Dawn brings in more seats. Really? He sells more tickets right now. And she says, I know, Harry, I see it too. And he smiles and he turns off the light. The next morning, he drove her home and Dawn was nowhere to be found. Probably getting another...
from another girl at MGM. Meanwhile, Celia is frantic, disheveled, waiting for her at the door. Harry leaves them alone to talk. And Celia tries to, she's defensive and she says, you know, I'm not, there was one girl in high school, my best friend, she and I, and it was one time. And Evelyn's like, I don't want to hear it. There's nothing wrong with me, Evelyn. I know there's nothing wrong with you. Here's what I know. I know that I used to love Dawn. And Celia's like, I know that. I know that you love Dawn and I've always known that and that's fine. I said I used to love Dawn, but I don't think I've loved him for some time now. And the only person I think about is you, Celia. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. The divorce to Evelyn's second marriage was on the way now. Evelyn opted to stay with Celia while she figured things out, which normally would have been a very big scandal in Hollywood. Two female roommates, they're like, oh my god, they're f We gotta kill them. That's literally their train of thought. It's crazy. I hate people. What were we on back then? Literally, what were we on? What are we on now? Anyway, but it's nothing suspicious when your best friend just went through a very public divorce, a very public separation. You need friendship, right? That's what heterosexual people do when they get a divorce from their heterosexual marriage. And initially, Evelyn and Celia remained purely platonic until Taylor Jenkins read another great one. Okay, I highlighted this one. Sometimes reality comes crashing down on you. Other times, reality simply waits patiently for you to run out of the energy it takes to deny it. Bitch. <laughs> and that's what happened. Their energy ran out and the two of them had sex for the very first time. But reality is a bitch because Harry comes over with divorce papers. You get the house, Evelyn, your money, and half of his money. What? Why would he do that? Because in the contract, you are forbidden to talk to anyone at any time about anything that happened during your marriage. Well, is he forbidden? Not in writing, no. So he can talk all over the town about our relationship and what makes him think that I'm, I'm even gonna agree to this? Harry gets quiet and Evelyn's smile falls. Sunset's dropping me, aren't they? Don wants to blackball you from getting an Oscar nod and Ari is agreeing to it. He's gonna loan you out to other studios and purposely put you in flops. He wants to ruin your career. Damn. <laughs> he can't do that. My the uh, father-daughter did really well. Little woman was a hit. He can do that and he will. He's the golden boy of sunset. If Don doesn't want you, he doesn't want anyone else to have you. Damn. So what? He ruins my life and buys my silence with a house and less than a million dollars? Evelyn, it's a lot of money. Yeah, I don't care about the money. At least not mainly. I, I did it once. I'll do it again. I can build the whole thing back up from scratch. Harry smiled. I know, and I will never doubt you. I hope we can still be friends, Evelyn. Oh, shut up, Harry. We're best friends. You still love me, right? Even though I'm gonna be blackballed? Of course. And I still love you, Harry. That's the end of it. Okay, me and you, Evelyn. Me and you, Harry. True blue. And that is how Evelyn lost everything. The first time. That's the end of part one. Dang. Ah, so stressed. Okay, so this time I decided to break it up because I feel like I want this to feel like a book club. So this is your time to go pick up Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, read it, and next Monday, we can talk about it like book club. We can finish the, finish the book and it'll be 
It'll be insane. I've already cried so much. Wait, Look. we gotta make the thing. Oh, what do you mean? It's already done, no? Hey, it looks kind of nasty and not good. This looks like it's gonna um cake your teeth. So I don't know, like, why didn't she just like do an expose on the husband? Oh. Is that not a thing back then? No, not back then. Because nowadays, wouldn't they just like expose the husband yeah. for being abusive and, and yeah. they will gain all the support, right? Yeah, but even then, you don't really gain much support. You still get a lot of hate, but back then it's like primarily hate. Mm. You're like a vindictive woman who wants to ruin a nice young man's life. Yeah, how do we know those bruises are all from him? What if you're clumsy? Are we really gonna ruin a guy's life with a mountain of evidence? It's not even that much evidence, so. So make sure to stay tuned for next Monday. Pick up a copy of Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And don't forget to check out Manscaped, linked in the description. And I'll see you guys on Monday. Or I'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye.